Well, Dr. Sanam Haviz is a neuropsychologist and faculty member at Columbia University. And in some recent writing, she has attempted to reverse a lot of the negative feelings towards jealousy and envy. And if you read Dr. Haviz's work, you'll, you'll find that she does admit that jealousy and envy and feelings like those can be unhealthy. They can lead to strong feelings of resentment, she writes, particularly towards the person who has what you want. And that this can fuel damaging behavior, but she claims, quote, depending on the context, it may be making us aware of a potential loss, alerting us to unacknowledged desires or unmet wants or needs. She concludes, once you get to the root of what makes you jealous of others, you can try to find a way to achieve those goals for yourself. End quote. As you continue to read Dr. Havi's writings, you find that the antidote to the damaging behavior that comes with jealousy is just to seek what you want, to, to find it, and that'll somehow bring an end to envy, bring an end to jealousy. Now, perhaps you are appalled at such logic. I, I hope that you are. Uh, I see some holes in it myself, but I'm, I'm not a doctor. But whether we agree with Haviz or not, I think we follow her advice. I think we do believe in our hearts what she is saying Jealousy and envy are powerful motivators. They're powerful motivators for how we interact with one another and how we conduct our lives, but they are also, according to Paul, works of the flesh. And so I want to consider these topics of jealousy and envy as well as some of these other like subjects that Paul brings up under three different vantage points. And firstly, I want to consider this morning that we are driven by jealousy. We're driven by jealousy. So over the past few weeks, we have been looking at these works of the flesh that Paul lists for us. If you'll remember, the first category we saw were sexual sins. Last week, we looked at the topic of idolatry. And this week, we consider seven descriptors that Paul uses to get at our conduct with others, particularly our conduct within the community of faith. And he lists these, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and finally, envy, which I want to argue really summarizes the whole list. Well, so what, what exactly is Paul getting at with this category of works of the flesh? Well, if last week Paul was asking, what do we put our trust in? I think we could say that this week he is asking, what is it that motivates us? More particularly, what is it that motivates our conduct with those that God has placed around us? Let's consider a few of these terms. First, jealousy. 
a term we are familiar with. The Greek word that is used here is actually the word which we get our English word zeal. Zeal is not a bad thing necessarily, right? You can be zealous for noble ends. In fact, the word is used of our own Lord and Savior, speaking of his, uh, that he is consumed with zeal for his father's house, leading him to cleanse the temple. But this word zeal, when it is combined with the word that comes before it, strife, has a very particular meaning in the New Testament. And it's speaking of intense negative feelings towards someone, particularly someone else's success. And here we can see a lot of crossover with Paul's terminology, can't we? His choice of words, envy, jealousy, zeal, strife, all painted with shades of green. And they point to an interesting phenomenon, one that I think confuses us and one that I think we are often ashamed of, that something good can happen to our neighbor and it makes us angry. I mean, think about it. When a coworker gets a promotion or an accolade, when a friend or family member finally buys that new house, when someone gets engaged, when someone gets Pregnant, depending on our context in life, what is our first response? Well, sure, we say, I'm so happy for you. But what is often beginning to well up within us? Bitterness, envy, jealousy. Since becoming a parent, I've noticed that this takes on a very uh, particular and interesting tenor Uh, when someone else's kids accomplish something that your kids haven't. Uh, And uh, I do think that an advanced toddler is one of the most hated groups of our society. Except for, of course, their parents who, who gloat over them. But it's true, isn't it? As we're raising children, when someone else's kid can spell or read faster or what have you, we... We grow bitter. Why, why is that? Well, we think it says something about us. That it says something about our parenting. It says something about who we are. As one Greek writer says, about, says in an early Greek tragedy, it is in the character of very few men to honor without envy a friend who has prospered. C.S. Lewis writes that the root of this kind of reaction is that we actually get very little pleasure out of having something, only only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. C.S. Lewis continues, it is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. And envy really is the attitude that protects this pride, isn't it? That causes us to want, to need, to be better. It is a powerful 
motivator. Well, not only is it a common feeling amongst mankind, but I think in our culture it is one that is capitalized on, even celebrated. You can go and get a massage from Massage Envy. Apparently, it's the kind of massage that would make someone jealous. You can use Skin Envy, and each day you put it on, your family and friends will hate you and your beautiful complexion. Hewlett-Packard has a whole laptop line called Envy, which if you're jealous of a Hewlett-Packard computer, you should see my MacBook. It's amazing. I think Apple is like the king of this. All they have to do is shift the location of the lens on a phone, and I see it and I'm less of a man. You need the new one, right? You always need the new one. And it never ends. If it's not in the product name, it's most certainly in the branding. Have a greener lawn with Scott's. Have a faster or more luxurious car. Fly business class so all those folks marching to coach can know your true position in life. So many products and services out there that promise another rung on the ladder of stature. Then we just keep climbing. Because envy and jealousy is a powerful motivator. You could say our economy is really built on it, isn't it? Well, Paul here, speaking to the Galatians, is not merely concerned about possessions. He is also aiming at those who are jealous to always win an argument. Those who must be right at all costs, even if those costs are division amongst the body of Christ. He uses a few words to describe this. Dissensions, divisions, fits of rage is my personal favorite. This word that's translated fits of rage got a lot of attention from the Greek philosophers. Aristotle says this about folks who are marked this way, that they are a menace to society. That they hear the voice of reason, or at least they seem to, but they hear it wrongly. That they are like a dog which starts barking before waiting to see if one is friend or foe. Perhaps you own this dog. (laughs) Losing their mind regardless of who's at the door. Well, Aristotle says that this is what this person is like, and what he is getting at is the kind of person who makes up their mind before the debate has even begun and begins to attack others who threaten their position. This is the type of person who will correct your entire worldview before you've made your first point. You have an uncle like this. These people hang out on Twitter or on network news. But it's not just political pundits, is it? I mean, how often is our first reaction when hearing something different to bite back at an opinion that we are uncomfortable with? How often do we label someone as wrong based on their affiliations instead of their actual words? This really is the attitude that Paul is preaching against. For he knows that it causes great division 
and dissensions within the body of Christ. Sectarian factions based on the need to be right at all costs, even if the cost is enmity between you and someone else who has been made in God's image. Well, this too is envy. Instead of being jealous for the truth, we are jealous to be seen as superior. And this, Paul says, is the way of the flesh. Rooted in the pride of of selfish ambition. Another descriptor that he uses. And this selfish ambition and all that goes along with it poisons humanity. And it poisons the church. As C.S. Lewis continues, he says, If I am a proud man, then as long as there is one man in the whole world more powerful or richer or clever than I, he is my rival and he is my enemy. I think it's the reason we see jealousy uh, as the root of so much violence throughout history. We saw it this morning in Genesis 4, but the stories continue. I did a news search on jealousy this week. And it's amazing that the headlines that you see, <laughs> violent headlines based in, in jealousy. Well, perhaps your jealousy and envy have not ended in physical violence, but what violence have we done to our brothers and sisters in Christ? In word and deed, because of our own insecurities, because of our need to be superior in wealth, knowledge, position, how often do these feelings drive our behavior? I mean, they certainly drive our spending, but in what other ways do they drive us? In what ways have they led to conflict in your own life, at your own dinner table? Well, if we are people driven by jealousy, I next want to see that we are people that are enslaved by it. In an interview with LeBron James, shortly after he won his third NBA title, and finals MVP, he was asked, what is it that motivates you? And what's next for you? And his response was this. He said, my motivation is the ghost I'm chasing. The ghost who played in Chicago. If you're a basketball fan, you know who he's, he's talking about, Michael Jordan. Considered the greatest of all time. He is the greatest of all time, in case there's any doubt. Um, But LeBron James says that he is pushed by this. He's at the top of his career. He's won the championship and he's been told that he's the most valuable player in pursuit of that championship. But it's not enough. Chasing a ghost. And he admits it himself. The problem is ghosts are very hard to catch. There will always be guys like me who grew up watching Jordan play, and they will always be the best. LeBron will at best always be second. And this demand for him to be on top will be relentless, and it will be never-ending. And it's enslaving. 
If you'll think back to the last weeks as we've looked at the book of Galatians, Paul continues to come back to this theme of freedom versus bondage. We've seen that there are two types of people in the world. There are those people who are enslaved to the law, either the law of Moses or natural law, which comes to all men, or there are those who are free, people of promise, people of grace, people of of gift, those who have in Christ been freed from the demands of the law. He says that there are two types of covenants. There's that covenant of work, which you work and you work and you work and find that the requirements are never met. But there's also this covenant of grace, this covenant that was established with Abraham that finds its culmination in Christ that that is a covenant of pure gift where the benefits are earned by someone else and are received by faith and faith alone. You are either a slave under the law or by faith you are free. And if the Son has set you free, Jesus says, you are free indeed. Well, what Paul knows here is that to be free and then to place yourself under the works of rivalry, envy, and jealousy is to place yourself back under a law, a law that is relentless. Paul elsewhere to the Romans speaks of this kind of behavior driven by envy as the law of the flesh. A law that, like the law of Moses, enslaved us to relentless labor. The requirements of this law of envy are never satisfied. It keeps asking. It keeps demanding. Once we think we have finally acquired that thing that will make us happy, the neighbor buys a new car when we have finally achieved that promotion that will give us the identity that we desire, our coworker will get a better one. When we finally lose that goal of 10 pounds, our friend loses 15. And the cycle goes on and on and on. Jealousy and envy and these attitudes that Paul is talking about here are taskmasters that never relent. They always require more. You work and you strive for a verdict that says you've done enough and you can rest. But the verdict never comes, does it? There's always one more hill to climb, one more task to complete, one more thing to buy, one more goal to meet. And there will always be someone stronger, faster, and smarter than you. And the cycle of envy never ends. And if we are driven by envy, and it's never arriving verdict, then we will be enslaved by it. So what is the answer? If we are driven by envy, if we are enslaved by envy, driven by jealousy, enslaved by jealousy, what is The answer, well, I want to consider finally this morning how we are freed by the Spirit. The law of envy whispers to you that you can finally rest by keeping up. 
But Jesus whispers to us a better word. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The requirements of jealousy say that you must claw your way to the top to find fulfillment. But the better word of the gospel says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The condemning voice of envy says that you have one more thing to do, but the gracious voice of Jesus says it is finished. The divisive voice of jealousy says you must secure your kingdom at all costs and let that fear of losing it compel you. But Jesus says to us this day, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Apostle Paul has told us time and time again that all who have been justified by faith have received the Spirit. A spirit of adoption, he says, that, that we by faith are adopted sons of God. And if we are children of God, then we are no longer slaves. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Trust fund babies of the kingdom of God. Everything is promised to us. Heirs to what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no heart has imagined, that which God is preparing in advance for us. And if this is all true, then what is there to envy? Paul knows that to be enslaved by jealousy, to be slaved by envy, actually reveals unbelief in us. We don't believe this whole argument that he has been making. That we don't actually believe that God has given us in Christ all things. And I think that's where walking in the Spirit comes in. I think this whole idea of walking in the Spirit is actually learning to walk in the belief that all this is actually true of us. And I do believe that that's what Paul is calling us to do. Sure, I could tell you, he could tell you this morning, just fight jealousy, envy, just, just stop it. Let me know how that goes for you next week. But I think what is far more Helpful is to say to you this morning, believe. Gaze upon Christ Jesus and his great work for you. Consider every spiritual blessing that he himself has granted to you. That he has lavished upon you and walk in the spirit. As we learn to believe that we are actually in need of nothing. That we have all that we need. You are no longer slaves to the law. Including that relentless law of envy. But you have received adoption. And because you are children of God. All that God has for his son Jesus. 
is yours. You've been justified. You've been accepted before God, and you are free. The verdict is in, and there's nothing more to strive for. And it's this knowledge that, that teaches us that we do not need to be jealous, except to be jealous for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. If you will recall the the parable of the prodigal son, the the father in the parable throws this lavish party for this good-for-nothing son that has finally come home after living a a life of license and a faraway land. And he gets home and his dad does what? Well, he throws a party. He hires a band. He slaughters the choice calf. He invites the whole neighborhood for this celebration. But you'll remember the older brother out in the field refusing to come in, so envious of all that his younger brother is getting, so envious of his father's love for his brother to the extent that he refuses to celebrate the salvation of his own brother. And the father goes out and and tries to compel him to come in. And and he says to his father, you have never even given me a goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. And yet you bring out the, the fattened calf for this your son. How often do we find ourselves there? Where God's good gifts are being lavished on someone else and we refuse to celebrate, even in times of joy, because someone else is getting what we don't have or what we think we don't have. But what does the father say to his son? He says, my child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is already yours. You are worried about one fattened calf when I've already given to you my kingdom. So come inside and dance. Forget about yourself. Celebrate with your brother and be glad that he now gets to join in the joy and wealth that has always been yours. Beloved, the kingdom has been given to us. And we can celebrate when others are blessed because our Father has been pleased to give us the kingdom, because we have nothing to be envious of. Everything of worth is already ours. We can forget about ourselves. We can hit the dance floor and we can celebrate and the joy and blessing of others because what they have takes away nothing of what God has already granted us in Christ, applied by his Spirit. Let's pray together.